0: This is the SFF Audio Podcast. Hi, I'm Jesse. Hi, I'm Paul.
1: Hi, I'm Marissa.
0: And today we're talking about The Puppet Masters, a 1951 science fiction novel by Robert A. Heinlein. And I've, I read this years and years and years ago. Um, I quite enjoyed it. Um, it had all the things in it that I remembered, the really annoying way Heinlein does things. But he's <laughs> such a good writer, anyways, that even though he annoys the hell out of me, I, I still, I just love to read his books. Uh, Marissa, had you read this before?
2: No, this was my first time. In, uh... Paul? I, I, I read this when I went through my main highline phase in the late 80s. <laughs> oh, God, a lot of
0: people go through that phase. Uh, so, sorry, I cut you off there, so What were you going to say?
1: Um, yeah, I was just going to say I, I enjoyed it as well. But I'm interested to know what your what the annoying highline things are that you guys <laughs> have picked up.
2: Well, Paul, you read a lot of Heinlein, right? I, I, I did. And when I first read this, it was early. In, I had, I actually read, tried to read. Okay, I'll explain a little bit about Heinlein. This will be a bit of a digression. One of the first no, Science fiction novels I tried to read back when I was 10, and this was in the early, late 70s, early 80s, was Time Enough for Love, and I didn't really understand it. Big mistake. <laughs> Big, huge mistake. It was on my brother's bookshelf. It was a huge mistake, and... I didn't read it, I didn't read more Heinlein for a while, and then in the late 80s, I started reading, started going systematically through more of Heinlein. I mean, I had read Expanded Universe by that point, that short story collection, but then I started actually okay. reading novels. This was one of the earlier ones, so I didn't quite realize at the time how the the basic parts of a Heinlein novel in terms of characters and now going through this, like, oh yeah, okay, here's this, here's this, here's this, here's this. Um, I mean, the, the, the basic, uh, triad of characters is your basic Heinlein triad of characters. It's right out of stock casting, you have the young, the, the young talented protagonist who is going to rise to a position of power and supplant the older protagonist who is who is wise and crotchety and knows lots of stuff and is competent, <laughs> but is ready to hand over the reins to the old man. And then, of course, you have the redheaded woman character.
1: Oh, yeah, is she always redheaded.
2: Uh, pretty oh, much. Always. Always.
1: <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Um,
0: sometimes she's a man, um, and I got some hints of that in here as well. But, um, <laughs> right. but you, you didn't really mention the really annoying parts, Paul.
2: I was going to leave that for you.
0: Okay. Well, um maybe it's just me, but I I find uh, there's something about the way Heinlein writes as opposed to the way Dick writes. And I uh, I I guess I started thinking about this when we did talk about who the man in the high castle was, right? I've had this theory about Heinlein being the man in the high castle. Um kind of. Anyways, um when Dick writes a novel, uh usually whatever conclusion anybody comes to, There's lots of reason for doubt. When Heinlein writes a novel, things are never left in any doubt, and even to consider doubt is ridiculous. And so, uh, for example, in this book, um, our main character starts taking methamphetamine, and he's perfectly perfectly willing to assure us. That it is non-habit forming, right? One hundred percent non-habit yep. forming. Even though his behavior completely shows that it is completely habit forming, um, that happens throughout Heinlein's writing, and I, I'm someone who's very uncomfortable with surety, and Heinlein exudes surety from every pore in his body. Yeah,
3: that's and true.
0: A lot of the time, it's perfectly all right. When he talks about you know orbital mechanics, um, you can be pretty rest, you can rest assured that he knows what he's talking about. When he talks about uh, how, what women want
3: <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> Oh, I, 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 I kind of picture it like Heinlein, you know today would be very, very comfortable with uh, things like uh, Bruce Jenner's gender switch. He would be very – I think he might have even wanted to, you know, do that sort of thing himself because he loved women a lot. And I don't know that he liked, uh, you know, wearing dresses or anything like that. I'm not trying to cast aspersions on the, his character. He was just very, very weird when it came to politics in the 1950s that he would – he liked black people to be, you know, in prominent positions in his characters, in his books. He he thought, you know – uh women should be up uplifted in society, sort of. Yeah, but, yeah.
1: he was, like, really open-minded for his time.
0: Yeah, kind of. <laughs> I mean, there's a lot of weird things going on in this book. Yeah. Throughout his other stuff as well. But, yeah, he's got this surety thing that just, it, I mean, did you notice the homophobia in this book? It's It's sort of not... It's super obvious, but it's Mary's superpower. She knows whether somebody's gay or not. And she right. is gay. Yeah.
2: yeah, yeah. It's like she she knows if a man is responding to her. Right. And I'm like, oh, they're not even naked. <laughs> how is, yeah. How is this? Yeah. At that I was thinking, wait a minute, what about. I mean, gay men, however, would, would completely throw off this whole idea. she register all of them as. <laughs> As uh, being a I, I, parasite for them,
1: I got it more as that they were just like dead to any kind of sexuality. Like they were just yeah. uninterested. Like not that it was a a gay or it,
2: straight kind of it, thing. Like yeah, but what about asexual people? They 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 they, yeah. they, they they'd be completely off of her radar too. Yes,
1: uh, if they didn't the respond surety. to any. Yeah,
2: Right. the surety that she
0: has that she can't articulate is Heinlein's surety. Hmm. Right when 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 the annoying thing is when he gets two people in the room, like for example, after they quote unquote get married, right, which is a huge deal, and then they find out oh they were married five minutes ago, right, or whatever, um and they insist on getting married in the proper way, but uh you know they don't want a church wedding or anything like that, like sort of that weird thing. But when they get to that cabin in their lovey dovey or whatever, that sort of exemplifies. It feels like one character talking to another character who's actually the same character. They're just sort of, the men and women are exactly identical. They're completely in sync.
3: Yeah. And,
0: you know, when the husband says, we're leaving, Mary, Mary doesn't say, no, hang on a minute. Right? She says, of course, husband.
2: <laughs> yes, yeah. Oh, God, yeah. I, I, I mean, she, she she loses a lot of her complexity. I mean, she gets some of her back when we find out what, her past with the aliens, but she loses a lot of her complexity as soon as she gets married. And Heinlein yeah, does that, again, that? And again and again, and he he does that in almost every novel. Like, women oh, want really? to get married? No. Want to get married? And yeah, then they're good to their husbands generally. I is mean, I can, right? of, I can think of I could think of some exceptions, but yeah.
1: Because uh, I, I was like, I thought it might be something in the story. I was like, oh, did, is this because like after the. <laughs> Alien got attached to her? Has it done something to her personality? Like but no, the alien is the husband, obviously in all of these books. Like once you're attached to a husband, you just lose your personality and your will to right. <laughs> be independent. That's oh. about it. Wow, okay. <laughs> <God>. <laughs>
0: um, but I mean, I think this is a pretty damn good novel despite all of these complaints mm-hmm. and the many more that I could sort of point to that are exactly like that. I I think for one the structure is really good. I, Heinlein's very good at structure. Um, I I like that the final chapter we we are given the what format this this story is being told in. Right, it's a the reason he's recalled all of these events for us is because he's writing them down because this is his legacy in case their their mission to Titan fails. Yep, and I think. That, that sort of uh, message in a bottle sort of storytelling is a very fun, old-fashioned mm-hmm. uh, way of telling a novel. Uh, Heinlein mm-hmm. often writes the novels as a first-person perspective, um, and I think that really helps tell the story. But um, again, there's no surety. It's the surety that sort of, for me, undercuts it. When, when Dick writes it first-person, which is very rare... Um, it's I don't know if he's ever done it, actually. Um, it it just if it, it, it does something different. And yet, you know, this story, the, the idea of an alien invasion of Earth and that you can't trust your neighbors. It's not his originally. Exactly. It's not, uh, you know, body invasion of the body snatchers comes a little bit later. Um, but it's the same thing. Um, Heinle- uh, Dick even has a, a story. the hanging stranger which is virtually identical uh in the in the the paranoia in that you know uh, people are getting taken over and they're not acting like themselves and it's actually aliens who are Hmm. and it's it's um it's really uh a good theme to sort of get into this other thing that really annoys me about this book which is uh how much he hates the soviets Man, he is rabidly anti-communist in this.
2: He, he, well, um, Highline was in real life. I mean, you, I get that. Yeah, I, yeah. I mean, you heard about this the story where he and his wife went to uh, tour Russia, and
3: mm-hmm.
2: it's it's an expanded universe. So Marissa doesn't know the story. Maybe our listeners don't. So I will cap it briefly. So yeah, they decided decided to go on a tour of Russia and recounted their experiences and at one point they're in a commissar's office and the commissar is talking to them and about uh, basically about internment camps and work camps and Heinlein gets angry and starts pointing out where they are on the map and at the first time I read that I thought wow you go Heinlein and then years later I was like what a stupid idiot you kind of <laughs> got yourself thrown in jail for such stupidity good God yeah yeah no communism is one of those things that Heinlein really, 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 really didn't like and thought that was going to kill us all. Yeah. Isn't there a story about him saying so at some world con who was guest of honor and he basically said that, yeah, that the communists are coming and we have to protect ourselves, God help us all. And so-
0: yeah, uh, I mean, the thing is, is he's right, The, the you know, the the commissar system, is horrible. It, it's nightmarish, in fact. But when you, I was thinking about like this in terms of imagine if if this is a metaphor, right? If this mm-hmm. novel's a metaphor for communism, which a lot of people sort of take it as being, right? I mean, it fits right into the thing. I guess I sent you guys the link to the the reds, the second Red Scare, right? Which mm-hmm. is right at this time. This is actually right in the middle of the second Red Scare of this book. And um, the thing is, is communists are that, you know, Soviet communism was really, really bad for everybody who was under it. And Chinese communism, probably even worse for most of the people who are under that. Um, but that is not an existential threat to the United States as well, as far as we can tell, it, it never was until you sort of start escalating with fucking nuclear war, which is exactly what they've had in this book. Right. They've had a World War Three. There's a Manhattan crater. Yep. And There's a Washington crater. Yeah.
2: Right? yep they, um, And they talk about New Brooklyn, New Philadelphia. So. Right. Yeah.
0: And I think we managed to survive that rabid anti-communism in the United States. Not because of how much, you know, brawn was projected out into the world, but in spite of it. Because, uh, no matter how you, th- you know, like, no matter how you think of how dangerous, you know, Soviet Russia was to Europe, it wasn't actually a threat to, you know, the tanks rolling into North America is not going to happen anytime soon. Um, and the reason for that is it's just like physically too difficult to get hell of a lot of tanks across the ocean in the same way that yeah. getting a ship to titan takes 12 years and the only s- chance of success they have is that they're on a 29 year cycle right uh the tit- the titanians or whatever um the 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 evil of the the puppet masters and they're incredibly evil in this story i mean they are true parasites right mm-hmm. and they bring out such evil things in in uh their human societies and then what is he so like there's there's first of all there's orgies on tv which is bad but uh, there's like um gladiatorial combat oh yeah that was horrible right where people's limbs are getting torn off and still fighting and then they abandon the the human host and just you know glom onto another one and and that's that's perfectly uh shows how evil they are right well that that seems reasonable oh and they kill cats oh my god they're monsters <laughs> <laughs> but then um he says he says about soviet russia it probably had no effect there most people wouldn't even notice <laughs> it's like what I, 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 and they didn't just <laughs> communism right yeah That's what it, he's saying
2: yeah and they, and they did not until the lack of bodily hygiene started people d- dying of disease Right. And that's another way you know that they're evil is because,
0: um, even, you know, even if they're, uh, they make you feel strong or they help you make decisions better or whatever positive aspect you might, uh, attribute to them. Um, yeah, you're covered after his experience. He's covered in scabies. He's got scabies and lice and he stinks and yeah. his feet are been jammed into two small shoes for weeks or however long it's been. Right. He's in just awful condition, um, and that yeah, it, it makes them so evil.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: But I don't think, I mean, no matter how you slice it, the Soviet communists were not as evil as that.
2: Yeah. No, so he he, he cranks pra- it up to thirteen. Yeah. Like yeah. Look, how, look how evil they, they're being. Look how bad they are.
0: Yeah, I mean it's probably a seven for most people, and uh, for some it's yeah it's a ten. But yeah, they, he does oversell it in the in the way that, you know, Saddam Hussein's being oversold as a threat. Oh, to... oh
2: yeah. he Yeah. Uh, ranking two, but sold as the uh, existential 11. Oh, let's right. go invade Iraq. Oh, God. We've gotten into U.S. politics. I apologize, listeners.
0: <laughs> no, I think that's, you know, like just considering if it was a terrorism, you know, if it was rewritten today, it would be for terrorism. Right. Um, they get inside your country and then they, they radicalize your people and then you've got terror cells all over the place. And look at how bad that – really, it's not anything I, I, like – as bad as this, right? I'm,
2: uh, surprised, the, so, I'm surprised nobody's written that yet or hasn't published that yet. Maybe it's been written. Maybe maybe it's on – maybe it's on, it's on Amazon Kindle. I'm surprised no one's published that yet because, yeah, that would – I think written properly, that would – Given, given the state of the world and the state of a lot of people's minds that would sell like gangbusters if you if you pitched it that way well, because because that, it, that is it. one of those core fears that's infecting America and a lot of other countries so
0: but uh, we the fear have the that other tradition. 24 is that right 24 was was the every week oh, or yeah. every every day there was a nuclear <laughs> bomb set to go off in every city right. And he had to torture people to get and they always had the information too he was always right uh, that's yep. that yep. sort of surety that that uh the producers of twenty four have about their their villains right yeah. is absolutely the surety that heinlein has and it's it's very dangerous i think um and that's what well, that's what really disturbs me about uh heinlein's writing, but other than that i I love it, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I said a lot of mean nasty things about his politics but <laughs> other than that I think he's wonderful. I um
2: mean, I mean yeah yeah I mean let's 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 look at the structure for a second because at the beginning we get a clue that something's happened to the cats and dogs it's like we have to avenge them and then you're wondering what's going to happen to the cats and dogs and mm. so when when we get to the cabin and we see the and we see the cat then we start thinking uh oh is this going to be did you, did, is 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 this the firing of Chekhov's gun? And it turns out to be yes, indeed. Mm. Uh-huh. That, that 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 shows that Heinlein's master of the craft that way is pretty damn good.
0: Hmm. Yeah, I, like, I think uh, Luke. You know, Burge talks about how he he one of the things he likes about in a book is when he's anticipating what's going to happen and he's right and it makes him feel smart. I think that. Heinlein does that very well in this book, and we're with the characters trying to figure out how to solve the problem, and just as they're figuring it out, we're figuring out the same sort of thing.
1: Yeah, and that true. that
0: is good writing
1: It's one it's so different from um, Dick's books, especially because we just read that one about the Titans as well. where're like at the end and you, <laughs> yeah. you cast your mind back and you look back and it's like such a straightforward line whereas like with dick's book you look back and you're just like how did i get here
0: (laughs) yeah he's not the master of structure in the way that Heinlein is
3: Mm
0: -hmm. Um, but what's what's funny is all the sins of uh, what was that book time enough for love right yeah
3: that
0: that all the sins that time enough for love has are in this book as well it's just that this book has a story Whereas that book is basically just people, naked people standing around in in cushioned apartments with no furniture um, discussing <laughs> legal matters <laughs> and then um, insisting that it's perfectly all right for them to take their their breed babies and put them in the freezer for six months and then um, decant them at will. And, and then and then the cat walks into the room and that and then that's the whole rest of the chapter is the cat. So all the scenes that are in later Heinlein sort of excesses um, are in this book. And uh, they're kind of annoying to me as well in here, but only probably because I'm so familiar with it. come on, get past the cat, man. I like cats, too, but they are not our (laughs) masters in the same way that the puppet masters are. And yet he he kind of treats them that way. It was pirate, the, the cat. Right, I guess right. here it works, right? We're we're going to avenge pirate.
2: Yeah. But Oh yeah, And we have to have casual nudity because this is a highline novel.
0: Oh man, he's so skillful. This this whole plot. That's what I was I was tweeting about, right? It, and I actually mentioned this to uh Eric Rabkin. Um yeah. and he's quoting from the book and he said, "Yes, it's the most he he did this he did a really good job of making it absolutely necessary that the entire society Go nudist. Yeah, right? <laughs> it's permanent change. He says, right? It's like, <laughs> wow, he got exactly the most
2: the world he wanted. Yeah, wanted and best. he said, yeah, we're not going to go back. it's Like, wait, what?
1: Yeah, I, there was I, a lot was, of talk I, about it.
2: I, I was kind of <laughs> reminded, in a very strange way, of um, of an um Sprague like de Camp story called Hyperpilosity. Have you? Okay. Have you that's I, a lot of fur. <laughs> What's that? Uh, it, it, it's a lot um, of hair. Yeah, lots of, a lot of hair. It's about a story where a virus breaks out, which starts having people basically grow gorilla like pelts on their bodies, and okay. the, uh-huh. the story is all about oh, what, what are we going to do about this? And so people start wearing less clothes because well, you can't really wear the clothes with all this hair on your body, and so. <laughs> but by the time the, by the time this like oh yeah we found the cures, people. People have adapted. Like, no, we're not going to go back, and people are happy with the uh, the permanent change. And so the cure is wow. shelved. I mean, they don't go nudist. I mean, they still have bandoliers and other stuff so they can carry stuff. But yeah, it's like people it's like, okay, we'll, we'll we'll adapt to the idea that we have hair now. And it, it's just, and someone who had uh, started investing in uh, hair combs is going to make a mint because <laughs> now they're really you really useful. Wow. And the characters happy like oh such a gorgeous pelt I have and stuff yeah so that's always. Yeah, that's the, a yeah. short story though right? It's a that's short not it's a novel. A, No, it's a very no. short story. It's like yeah. Five
0: pages. It's that's the that's the thing is I mean it's it comes up in in a lot even his kids books there's I I I don't know if you guys read any of the juveniles there's one set on Mars and
3: on Mars
0: po- no it's not Podcane it's uh there's ice skating on the canals I can't remember oh it's um. Starman Jones? No, Starman. No, it's not Starman Jones. It's a about a kid's school on Mars, and I I I can't recall the name, but it doesn't matter. The Important part is they live in domes. They have to go out in suits, um, but inside their domes, their dome homes, um, they always have the heat cranked up. It's just a tradition, and so mom and pa and baby and and brother and sis are all naked all the time. Wow. (laughs) And when, it's, not just, it's not just their house. It's all the houses. Right? So you put on, the only time you put on a suit is when you put on your space suit and you have to go out into the cold Martian atmosphere.
1: So, was he a nudist? Is, is he like really into this? <laughs> I
0: think he must have been.
1: Yeah.
2: It, it comes up over and over and over again.
1: Yeah. I, and when did he die? 81,
0: 82. Something like that?
1: Yeah, because I was thinking when I was listening to this, I'm like, I mean, I live in Hollywood, and people don't wear a lot of clothes here. And I was just like, Wait, I wonder. No, it was 88. It was what 88. Yeah.
0: Was it 88? Okay. Yeah,
1: it maybe, yeah. maybe
0: his last good book was like 1980 or something like that. I remember the, the, there was a few books <laughs> after that I just...
2: that They really start, my in my humble opinion, they really start going downhill after... After Moon is a Horst Mistress, I mean, I will fear no evil. Uh, I, like I, um, I like
0: that one. It's, I mean, I think we should I think we should do that one in future because to, why don't you tell the plot of that one, Paul,
2: I okay. think it's fascinating. OK, and I will fear no evil. Um, an old man who's dying basically transfers his his brain into the body of a young black woman, old old white guy. So he gets wow. to live life as, as, a, as a young black woman. And, he's rich. And
0: on top of that, um, he's a heterosexual man who is put into the body of a, of a woman
2: right. um,
0: and becomes a heterosexual Sexual woman.
2: woman. That's right, yes.
0: Which is and very fascinating. I, I, I see this is why I think Heinlein is up for like gender reassignment surgery. Absolutely. I think he loved women. In a way that a man does, but also in the way that a woman would love being a woman, which is weird. But I like, I, I I love that he writes this into his books because yeah. it's so not what, you know, he's a, you know, all the military stuff. Uh, Marissa, he was, um he was in the Navy and he was a, you know, officer. He loved, obviously, the military. He does it again and again in his books. Um, There's a bit of that in here. There's a bit of hate for the military, but also a love of the military. Everything's sort of black and white. But um, the fact that this this weird guy right from Missouri um, just writes his consciousness into these books and just plays with these ideas is very, very liberated and modern in a way that uh, almost nothing else is.
1: Yeah, for that time, it seems... Kind of amazing. It is amazing.
2: Complicated, and it, strange guy.
0: Yeah, so I would say it's either, um, yeah, the last good one is either that one or. W- would you say that's a good book,
2: Paul? I will fear uh, no evil? Uh, I
0: don't interesting, know. Right?
2: I, I, it's I, interesting. I I, I I, have a soft spot for Job, which is one of his last ones. but.
0: Uh huh. That actually ties into this a little bit as well. Um, Job, I'm not a big fan of, uh, but I do like, um, there's a, a little later one, I think. Um, uh, Friday, isn't that 1980? 82. Yeah. Oh, okay. Um, but yeah, friday's mm-hmm. fun. It's, it's also got a female, prote- it's, it's basically, uh, you know, the male hero in this story, uh, but done as a female, but she's got all the problems of, Of a Heinlein female character. Um, And there's rape in that one, which a lot of people didn't like. Yeah. Um, Yeah. She didn't like it either, but she doesn't like it. She she doesn't. She doesn't. uh, When Heinlein talks about it, he doesn't say the right things. Oh, God. (laughs) And it's not good. It's not good in that respect. But on the other hand, she's an artificial person, which is fascinating as well, right? She's got this um sort of i don't know it, she's got a uh, <sighs> inferiority complex or something because she wasn't born of man and woman
2: well the society should, the society is tilted against that as well
0: right yeah and it, it is a fascinating society which which um i don't think we have that in this story it's pretty much it, you guys all watch the adaptation right the the 19- Solo ones 19- yeah Yeah. Yeah. Marissa, um, did you think it needed to uh, keep all the futuristic technologies like flying cars and stuff? I think it adapted pretty well, right?
1: It adapted. I mean, I wish it had more of that stuff. I would love to see um, something closer to the book.
0: Well, I thought it was pretty good uh, in considering that it was not. It didn't stray that far from the plot at all.
1: Yeah, the the actual like basic pieces of the plot were all there.
0: Um, a lot less nudity.
1: <laughs> a lot less nudity. Yeah, it's like all yeah, the fun well, stuff got taken out of it. <laughs> the nudity uh, and the futuristic technology and
0: was there was there a cat in that apartment? I can't remember. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. The, the, okay.
2: the, the, the cat is the vector for uh, the, the parasite that gets married.
0: Right. She gets. Right. She gets. Uh, but a, they did right? do
2: a weird
1: thing in that movie where they changed it so that the um, that Mary. Um, kind of comes onto him in that part in that apartment after she has the alien on her. So the alien right. is kind of kissing them for a while, and I was like, Yeah, what's the alien doing right now?"
2: Right. Yeah, is, yeah, it, it, it's one of those classic male fears, you know, uh, being yeah. devoured by women, sort of thing. But <laughs> but, but, but at least but, but but at least there's a little more of a balance of uh, the ending. Oh yeah, Ma- Ma- Mary uh, and Sam are going to have a relationship, but they're not going to get married and. Mary has much more characterization as a result, rather than just going like, "I'm married now, and now, now all my opinions are all my husband's." Sort of mm. crap that we get in the novel. Yeah.
1: Did you guys enjoy the movie?
2: I did.
0: I, I I don't know why everyone hates that movie so much. I mean, I like Donald Sutherland. I I don't. I one of the thing I noticed about actor Eric Thal is, whenever possible, he opens his mouth.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I mean, I, mean, I he just, he's he's disappeared,
0: he's disappeared. completely. He's, but who does he I, play
1: in he, the movie? He's the oh. he's
0: the Sam.
1: He's Sam. Okay.
0: Um, the uh, actress playing Mary has been in a few things, but other than that, I mean, I, Eric Dahl just completely disappeared off the radar of anything. And he's sort of you know competent actor, uh, not great or anything, but he's fine. Um. So I I I don't know why everyone hates this movie so much, but it, I it I is think
2: I think maybe because Eric Thal just really didn't break through as a real actor. <clears throat> I mean I mean the star of this film is Donald Sutherland. So yeah, yeah.
1: I, I didn't believe the Sam
0: in that movie. David, no, yeah, he's not great. David Keith um is always fun in films, and he plays the bad guy. Uh, well, he plays a guy covered in in uh, slugs. <laughs> who's a bad guy right mm-hmm. um and uh he's he's like one of those actors who whenever he's in a movie he sort of steals the show i think but yeah i i think it's 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 unjustly maligned other than the fact that yeah eric Dahl's not a great actor but it strikes me that this is very much also an x-files sort of setup right well, other than the old man there it's a Mulder scully Going to investigate a flying saucer that turns out to be uh, not what we expect, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and they uncover conspiracy, except unlike every X Files, it is fucking competent. This thing makes sense, right? Whereas <laughs> it's turning into like endless s- seasons of oil monsters or whatever. Things that ultimately have to get resolved by long exposition that makes no sense. And is completely useless, and then one of the actresses gets a baby and has to leave the scene and that's explained like all that <laughs> stuff all that fake crap conspiracy here I mean he Heinlein ties it all in right he says all the all the um disappear- disappearances in the world, all the uh flying saucer uh things those are all tied into the slugs making. Uh, surveys and scouting, right? Yeah. It, it it sort of it's really fun, and I think it's
1: great. Yeah, they do have like this kind of this history, so that you feel like they're not they didn't just turn up in the middle of
0: mm-hmm. um, the middle of yeah. the
1: story. You know, they've been there for a long time.
0: And right. the way they cover up their their uh, their landing is by saying, "Yeah, look, it's a fake." Right? Yeah, which I think is brilliant.
1: Yeah, that's my favorite. That's that's such a good book. The the sluggers
0: are really smart. Um, And one of the things that, you know, is the question at the beginning and the question at the end is, were they smart? And I think this is, you know, where the sequence where Sam first gets a slug on his back um, is brilliant. I think it's one of the best bits of science fiction writing out there because we don't know instantaneously. That he has a slug on his back mm-hmm. because he acts just like the way he was before, except why is he doing this? Oh, that's strange. Um, he it's almost as if he doesn't know there's a slug on his back.
2: Yeah, right. Right. It, yeah, it's it not. It's not some of mind domination. It's basically, just controlling, making, making do naturally what the slug wants him to do, which is a very and, and giving him that sense of peace and happiness and whatnot. Mm-hmm. It's just like, it, it, it's a soft sort of uh, mind control in that way. It's just like, no, you're taking your mine. It's like, oh, I'll, I'll do this. because It makes it makes me feel good to do what the Masters want. That's mm-hmm. even more insidious. <laughs> and more scary. It's like, yeah, you'd fall into that and yeah, you'd lose. Good.
1: I love the way the characters' personalities kind of are still there as well. Like, the slug sort of just ties it all together.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, and I think you know, it almost is more highlighted in the movie when, and it happens in the book too, right? And the they, in the movie they have it as a helicopter escape, but it's just a, another car, sky car in in the book. Uh huh. Um, right. When Dad is, I love how incestuous uh, Heinlein loves incest too. By the way, Marissa, I don't know. Oh, okay. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Brother, yeah. today. Says I. Ha- I have. Uh, there's no incest in the family, says the, the dad right at the beginning. Um, the reason he says that is because most of the time it's allowed, but not in this particular version of our family. <laughs> so anyways, um, in the, uh, in the helicopter or the air, air car, right? He, the father says something like, you didn't tell me how great it is. Yeah. How great it is to have one of these things on your back. And it does, they, they do juice you up, right? They, they can control your dopamine levels, right? Your acetylcholine, they, they give you everything that you want. Mm -hmm. Um, and that sort of addiction, um, image I think is brilliant and so not developed in the way that Dick would have developed it. Oh yeah,
2: Dick would have gone really down the rabbit hole on that
0: totally because if you think about like i just heard a story on the radio um yesterday or it was a podcast of a radio show um about a woman who had been an olympic athlete uh, a runner and she um she started taking zoloft after a series of depressions and apparently one of the effects was to make her hypersexualized and she Talked it over with her husband and decided to become an escort um, and worked as an escort for almost a year or m- maybe exactly a year, huh. uh, making tons of money. And she uh, loved it while she was on her drugs. But the way she talks about it now, it's like it was a massive problem. And I think it probably was, given that she's not, you know, still doing it or whatever. But that when. That? when you are on an altered state right when you're drunk or you're high on drugs it's still you i think as much as you know i think that uh, what is undercooked about this book is that when we think about what who's in charge of our own mind i think people make a fundamental mistake and they think that they have choices when in some conditions and they don't have it in other conditions right i uh, the reason i did that is because i was under the influence of blah 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 some Mm -hmm. drug or some person or some ideology um and then they think that they didn't have choices then but then in when they're not high on drugs or they're not drunk they think that they are in control and to me that makes no sense i think that, that there's a uh, something weird going on and i think that if we had a slug on our back um it's not that different from that sort of excuse and yet um i i think there's a lot of play that could have been done if as i say dick was writing this this versus heinlein sort of doesn't really talk about that he just says it's bad but by the same token he's got his main character taking speed up methamphetamine even on his his uh, honeymoon and saying he's not addicted
2: well but 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 uh getting married to getting married to mary yeah um does cure him of that because he's like it's not so good anymore and and and, yeah he drops that and just do it again it's like really that addiction ends that easily the love of a good woman ends your addiction to uh methamphetamine really he says he's not
0: addicted addicted. oh he
2: so is I know but I don't
0: think Heinlein thinks he is. I think Heinlein is this he does this black and white thing where he's he says, you know, this is how things are young man and the young man's no 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 and then the the old man says one more word and then the kid completely changes his opinion and says, you "No, know, jeez, I just didn't know stuff." Right? It's sort of you know how I had all these elaborate theories about in the man in the high castle that Joe sinnedella is is actually uh, an Italian until he becomes a Nazi. Mm
3: -hmm. Right.
0: Um, I think Heinlein's the opposite, except there's no sort of slow transformation. It's, it's that everything is black and white. It's suddenly a switch, like a switch has been flipped because the wife, as soon as she's married, right? She, she has all these strong opinions and she's a real person. And then as soon as she's married, um, she either turns on the waterworks, which, which, sorry, that's a, it's probably Heinlein Heinleinian a way of putting it.
3: She either starts <laughs>
0: crying, it. and in which case the husband has to apologize for everything, or she ag- agrees one hundred percent with whatever the husband says. Right? Yeah. It's it's like they're operating as a, a a slug on the on the back of the other. They're they're completely in totally. sync. Oh.
2: Now now. Yeah, now I'm thinking of uh, other Heinlein novels and how that works. Like um, Glory Road does the same thing.
0: And that one, that one's a fun one. That's set that, in a the fairyland,
2: right? Well, yeah, yeah that, that's that's this fun one. I listened that that that's the book that saved uh, me from going insane driving across the plains of uh, Nebraska. Mm. Because I, I was driving to my Colorado trip and I had audiobooks, and that was the first audiobook I had queued up, and that. Kept me from uh, going and seeing at endless uh, flat land, but yeah, <laughs> but yes, yeah, Star, Star is an excellent, interesting character until they go to that whole jumping over the sword Mary thing, and then she comes much less interesting.
0: Hmm. So and yeah, he loves that marriage. Yeah,
1: sorry. Yeah, I was going to ask him what's with the like the whole marriage thing? Seems so like she wasn't really willing at all, and she keeps on saying, "I didn't really want to do this." Mm -hmm. but I will if you make me. And, you know, I think she says that a couple of times and then it's all about the contract. You know, it's just like, yeah, we just want the contract.
0: Yeah. Yeah. He does that, he he has this very ambiguous relationship or ambivalent relationship with with marriage and law. And so like, yeah, if he was alive today and was hearing about, you know, gay marriage, I kind of think he'd be down with it. But on the other hand, I think he'd have some weird, really sort of. He says, "Absolutely, anyone should be allowed to marry men, women. That's fine, but as long as they have a six months opportunity to renew, or <laughs> <it's> like, yeah, <laughs> why, why does he? Why does he think that way? Um, it, w- have you read uh, Moon Is a Harsh Mistress, Marissa? Yeah, that's a great book. Uh, yeah, that's I mean, a good one. I think that may be his best book. It's he's got a lot of great books, but that one's terrific. And one of the really weird things that doesn't seem to have anything to do with the plot is that uh this line marriage idea where there's an old man and an old woman, those are the mother and father husbands and wives. Yeah. And then there's the the uh the I don't know, the beta husband and wife and then at the bottom there's the there's the you know the new new person added to the family and anyone can add to the marriage just by but traditionally the old man gets to sleep with the, the new wife <laughs> and the prima nocta sort of yeah. <laughs> like
2: yeah.
0: why why are you doing this Mr. Heinlein and he of course comes up with a justification well see Mars was colonized by men who were all prisoners and so there's very few women up there And they had to do it this way but I noticed there's an abundance of women in the family now mm-hmm. anyways the important part is Heinlein's <laughs> very interested in exploring sort of weird marriage things and it comes up in pr- practically every book. Somebody has to get married. He's a super romantic, right? In a way that I, I think don't they'll,
2: think they'll get married in weird ways. I mean, oh, yeah. Uh, n- n- number, of the, number of the number of the beast they said, Oh yeah, let's get married, let's just find a find a town in it. In Nevada, where we can get uh, someone to marry us, like, what? Wait, what? Oh, uh, okay. And time uh, traveling
0: oh. and universe jumping, and yet they have to go to a fast, yeah,
2: yeah, in, in Nevada, yeah, you, yeah, you got, you got to wonder. But I mean, that's what, what just one of the things he goes for.
0: <laughs> <laughs> it, it's very much you. I think reading. Well, a person like Dick or reading Heinlein, you really get very much into their psychology because they put it all over the page. Yeah. And it shows you how weird people are. Yeah. <laughs> are really weird people. And I I I don't know, you guys did you know that um during World War II a lot of people were taking speed? No. No. So all the um all the American fighter pilots and bomber pilots were, were on speed. All the, all those guys. Um, uh-huh. They called them go pills. Um, because they are on like a flight for, well, you know, 20 hours or something. And if they're flying at night, they can't fall asleep. Right? They have to be on their toes. But when you do, you know, mission after mission after mission on speed... Um, it kind of can cause some problems and they, they didn't just issue it to fighter pilots either. They also issued it to frontline troops who have to hold a position like during the battle of the bulge. Um, it's like, well, we can't provide you with hot coffee, but worst comes to worst, Just take your go pills.
1: Your go pills. That's
0: such a great name. And of course, you know, today we think of, you know, methamphetamine is not particularly a good, uh. Or amphetamines are not a particular good thing. Dick had a big problem with them, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm not sure that Heimlich didn't partake either because he does talk a lot about drugs in here.
1: Yeah. What's the drug called in this book that he That's down time? time?
0: Oh, I th- yeah. Um, yeah. He he uses a Latin name for it, which is Tempest Fugit. Which oh, yeah. Is just Tempus. Time flies, right? But I think that's. Uh, I don't think that's the brand name. I think that's just his way of saying methamphetamine. Yeah, uh-huh. but he has a story about a guy who who took it all month and and aged, you know, fifty years yeah. in a, <laughs> in a month. But he lived a great life. <laughs> I was like, what the hell are you talking about? Yeah, um, but I I think people do do that, and that's how they end up, you know, in the gutter.
1: Yeah, there is that weird scene with um. Uh, where he's, where they've got to chase the cat or something, and the cat's on like regular time, and they're mm-hmm. moving right. super fast. Think hurt the, to cat. the cat, yeah, yeah, <laughs> there's like weird, yeah. No,
0: but she, Mary never wanted to go on that drug, right?
1: I know, and then she yeah. did.
0: Yeah, because her husband said it
2: was a good idea. Yeah.
1: <laughs> but that, but, but I don't understand that. that.
2: Because because uh, she's married to her husband now. Yeah, but 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 she manages to cure him of that because then after that they don't want to do that anymore, and that's the end of that's the end we hear of uh, Tempest Fugit. It's yeah, but he clearly was addicted to it, even if Heinlein wouldn't admit it to it. The clue because he was just so into the idea of the two of them spent yeah. all that that uh, subjunctive time together. It's like, he, but yeah. even before,
0: even before he was he was um, married to her. He talked about going up there and just taking. Taking the drugs, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Since
2: his vacation.
0: So may, maybe maybe I'm not being charitable and thinking that, that Heinlein's... Uh, maybe he he's challenging us by saying, you know, absolutely, 100%, uh, this is how things are. And I'm like, no! But then he just continues the book. He doesn't let, ever go back to it. But I, I think that he is very black and white when it comes to that. Mm-hmm. Um, I-, I wanted to point out m- Misa, who was going to join us, but is too sick to join us, um, reminded me of uh, an episode of Star Trek called Operation Annihilate.
2: Oh, yeah, I remember that one.
0: Have you seen this, m- sh- this episode, Marissa? It's from no. the first season of the original Star Trek.
2: Uh, oh, God, yeah. yeah. It's the
0: planet of the pancakes, is how I
2: remember
0: it. <laughs> <laughs> um, Paul, you want to... Mention how.
2: It,
0: how it plays out. What, what's that? Do you want to explain the plot?
2: Yeah, I'll explain it. Ba- ba- basically, a better, uh, Starfleet colony is being taken over by these flying pancake things, which land on the back of you and start controlling your minds. And the and uh, Kirk and Spock and everyone else have to figure out how to get them off, get them off people without killing them. Which because a couple red shirts wind up getting killed in taking them off eventually spock himself gets gets infected but then they find out that uh they're using ult- i think it's ultraviolet x-rays will uh take off the uh the parasite and that blinds spock for a while it's like and then they find out oh no they they could they could just tune it so it doesn't blind people and and well it turns out spock wasn't blinded because he has a third eyelid. lid
0: right yeah <laughs> Or Vulcan physiology. Um, Misa uh, put a couple quotes in here. I, I'll just read what she wrote. She said, uh, uh, Bones says to, uh, that's the doctor says to Captain Kirk, uh, please don't tell Spock I said he was the best officer in the fleet. And Kirk says, you were so concerned about his Vulcan eyes, you forgot about his Vulcan ears, doctor. That—that <laughs> <laughs> um, that, the This is what, one of the things they did on that show was every time... You know, something has to be reset uh, for the, you know, everything to be the same next week. Yep. In the days when television didn't have to be sequentially, you know, adding up to something. Um, they would just, you know, add a new Vulcan <laughs> point of physiology so that uh, that would could get everything back to normal. Nobody ever died or anything, right? Nobody's ever, you know, loses a hand or anything like that. So, um but she also pointed out that uh, Kirk's brother, who is you know the only relative that shows up in the original Star Trek of Kirk's, is on uh, the show and he's killed, uh, but his name is Sam, which is from <laughs> our novel.
2: Oh. And,
0: and um, she also says there's lots of biblical allusions, and to make special note of Mary uh, for the character that became the vessel for world peace. And Sam, which means either names the name of God or God has heard. Um, and then she says, typing this is making me want to hurl. So <laughs> I did know what she was going to say. But um, I, th- I think that episode is very good at giving you the sort of the outline of a of basically the Titanian Evil plan. Yeah. Um. It's, it, it's funny because Heinlein sued uh, the brain eaters uh movie, but he didn't sue Star Trek. Star Trek and was yet too big. Pre- well, I don't know. They're pretty they're pretty um
2: pretty much ripping pre- it off, well, yeah. Huh, I, I, mean, I mean yeah, it's, it's on a colony and whatnot, not on Earth, but yeah it's the same sort. Now now there was also now that I'm thinking about it, there was a couple of uh next generation episodes mm-hmm. where you had mind control. Where mm-hmm. there was this plot where Starfleet was being uh invaded by the by uh these, these parasites that were taking control of people's minds and started doing weird things. But they, like, wrapped it up in, like, two or three episodes and then forgot about it. It's like, mm-hmm. and I remember at the time, but wait, what? It's yeah, right. it's wait, very wait, dark. It yeah. was a very
0: dark sort of early Star Trek Next Generation. Yeah,
2: and then they dropped the plot line completely and went, went, went over to, I guess, to worry about things like the Borg. It's like, that was interesting. Go, go back mm-hmm. to that. Don't you <laughs> mm-hmm. solved that too quickly, it's like uh-huh.
0: yeah. uh yeah it wasn't uh as nicely wrapped up as uh that original star trek but yeah it did it did yeah. uh it did unsettle at the oh. time when when I was watching it in i don't know the nineties or whatever I, I i was very unsettled by that, and I thought, oh that's very different and one in the, one of the ways that uh star trek is especially next generation is quite like Heinlein is that uh the federation is perfect right everybody's happy uh there's no money <laughs> and i don't know why they're always playing poker because <laughs> it's, it's pointless to get your <laughs> there's no there's no money in star trek until um until the board oh, no not the Borg. the uh ferengi come in right
2: yeah deep space Nine and deep and deep space Nine were of course you have a, you have commerce on a space station and
0: yeah uh, so what's weird about that is is it's just unstated as to wh- how their economy works i mean when you have a device in your house that is essentially a 3d printer that can print food or anything instantaneously with seemingly no uh economic cost to it i i don't think you do have much worry about an economy on the other hand uh, that's magic And I I think it's sort of Gene Roddenberry's optimism about about uh,
2: post scarcity economy.
0: Yeah, the post scarcity economy is is interesting, but it's it's magical in the same way that Heinlein sort of, you know, everything's going to be all right as soon as we get married. And then it is (laughs) because I don't understand (laughs) that switch that goes off in the woman's head that she just suddenly act. It might it might have been that women did act that way. In the fifties, I, I do not know. Oh. <laughs> I, I I don't. I get the sense that it wasn't the case for a lot of women, anyways.
1: I got but the I, feeling. What?
2: Go ahead, Marissa.
1: I was just gonna say, from reading this book, like I want there to be a sequel where someone goes in and just saves Mary from this marriage, like <laughs> just like because he's just like he's so aggressive and stalker-like right from the start. He's like, I just want to yeah. marry you, like immediately. And she doesn't want to do anything and ends up doing everything he says and I'm just like, someone get her out of there
2: <laughs> Yeah. Uh, at least the She's... movie fixes that.
0: Yeah, a little bit. Yeah. It's it's bit, no, yeah. it's got <laughs> its own it's got its own late eighties legacy, um oh yeah. Uh filmmaking sort of culture which happens in it. It's <laughs> funny. It makes it sort of like a... it's it's very cartoonish. I'm sure that stuff is still going on. But, you know, like in the 80s and 90s, especially the late 80s and almost every sort of major film, there would be a sex scene. And I was like, this is an action movie. Why is it? (laughs) (laughs) Um, But I noticed like in more modern ones, like, um, you know, the Mission Impossible movies, like they don't even have a romance going on. I mean, maybe there's a like a nod and a wink or something, but. They don't even pretend to do that, you know, little romancing going on anymore. Yeah,
3: it's true. And I think,
0: weird. I think that it, it's sort of a stage of the '80s that they were sort of developing out of <laughs> whatever stage they were in before, where sex was completely taboo, and they would have these. Sorry, Paul,
2: go for it. Also, it's the it's a, it's the PG-13 effect. Now every movie has to be PG-13, and since and since Americans are tough. much yeah. more prudish about sex than about violence that means less sex on screen I mean shoot all you want but god forbid should should, they, uh, should a woman uh, actually go after a man and uh, have sex with him because That's we can't true. show that
1: mm-hmm. and for the other side for the people who aren't prudish for the other half of the population there's just so much sex everywhere that it's not like that exciting anymore to like see characters on a, on a yeah, TV that show too. Kinda yeah. like, eh. good point but Yeah, they're,
2: they're boffing okay
0: yeah, yeah. I, I, was, I was just starting to think of uh, of other movies that didn't have it. One one that doesn't is Alien. Right? There's no sex in Alien. I mean, there's sort of sexuality. Oh yeah. There's a bit of stripping down, and there's the you know, running around <laughs> being and this... chased by a giant penis monster, but uh, <laughs> that's not actually any sex in that. But then that brings me to uh, I want to talk about Aliens as well. Yeah,
1: which, you made a good link with that movie.
0: I th- I think you know um, you guys read about James Cameron's uh, problems with with Harlan Ellison and uh, the Terminator. You guys yep. know about this?
1: No, yep. I don't know.
0: Okay, I, I did a big post on it, and I think it's quite interesting. I'm I'm not the only one to talk about this ever, but I I think I did some good work there. In any case, um, Harlan Ellison sued in the same way that Heinlein sued. Um, Sued the makers of the brain eaters. (laughs) Um, uh, Harlan Ellison sued the um, Cameron for the Terminator, uh, citing a couple of episodes uh, of of a television show uh, that he had he had written. Mm -hmm. And um, if you really squint, they are definitely sort of visually similar and sort of plot similar. But of course, The Terminator is way better than those two episodes of Terminator. It's an amazing film. Um, in the same way, Brain Eaters is not an amazing <laughs> film. I couldn't finish it. Uh, I started. It's only an hour long. I, I I only got about 20 minutes in. Oh really? <laughs> it's just sort of bad, bad, bad. But that has a great poster. So, um, now, uh. Cameron's very, very good at lifting things out of SF and putting them into film in a way that makes them really great. I mean, uh, I'm not a big Avatar fan, but it's very good lifting. I mean, he looks at science fiction and says, wow, that's a great idea. And then he transforms that into uh, a good story, right? Mm-hmm. That I mean, Avatar is pretty good. I I didn't see the 3D version, but I I thought it was pretty good. I don't know that we need a sequel, but Aliens Aliens Mm -hmm. is an amazing uh, thing. What what it does is it takes the first movie and just redoes it in a bigger way, right? Mm -hmm. But it also has this great story that I really was annoyed with at the first viewing. I hate it when they have kids in film who are in jeopardy. Um, I hate that so much, you know. There's a Luc Besson movie or maybe all the Luc Besson movies where a hitman has, has a relationship with a young girl.
2: Oh, the professional.
0: Yeah. I hate that movie so much. It's so stupid. <laughs> it's like some hitman caring for a young girl. And I don't know. She treats him as a father figure while he shoots everybody or whatever. However that is. I it just, it's like adding a baby into a, into a TV show. It just does not make things better. But in Aliens. Um, we have the, the character from alien, um, meeting, a you know, she doesn't want to go on this mission to, to destroy the, the slugs on Titan, right? At the end, at the beginning of aliens, she, uh, that is Ellen Ripley doesn't want to do that, but she is convinced to do so, even though her, her country's far more dystopian than, uh, or her. Her, I don't know, world is far more dystopian than I would like. She goes along with the, um, with the the corporate uh, military mission, right, and finds essentially um, our heroine from, from the puppet masters living amongst the aliens, yeah. right? It, yeah. Isn't that story? Isn't that little sort of? drop in this sea of novel um, really well explicated in Aliens, if you think about it.
2: It expands, yeah. and yeah, we actually get to see it rather than just having it basically explained to us. and in, 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 in those uh, psychological flashbacks sort of things, yeah.
0: I think that those the, the psychological flashbacks, they, it, it's sort of stupid in this book. It's one of the worst parts of the book, as opposed to some of the really good stuff in the book. It, uh, I didn't understand why you know, Heinlein does this sort of psychology bunk that's garbage, really. When he's so good at orbital mechanics. <laughs> but he does do that, you know, repressed memories sort of thing. Um, but her story, living on Venus and being um, surrounded by aliens and her parents changed. And, and then some rescuers come. She's a feral child, right? It's, it's really kind of cool. The way yeah. it, it shows up in yeah. that movie, and it—I mean that—that that relationship between Newt and uh, Ellen Ripley really adds some dynamism to what was in the first. You know, if you just redid the whole first movie in the second movie, which it essentially is, they have very much the structure is the same. But she's saving herself in the first movie. In the second movie, she's. She's facing up to her fears, but not for herself, for, for some Nudes. other person, for Newt. And, uh, you know, instead of getting into a space suit and uh, saving herself uh, and, you know, ejecting from the ship, she gets out of her clothes instead of to get in the space suit, to get into the fighting suit, go down and have a massive battle with an alien monster, right? Get away
2: get- from her, you blank.
0: That's right, then they climb into the uh into the spaceship and they, instead of ejecting from you know the escape pod from the spaceship that's about to blow up, they eject from the planet that's about to blow up right mm-hmm. yeah and it's it's a it's a rock rockingly good um and that's why the movie's so good i think is even though it had what I thought was going to be a terrible element of this kid that has to hang around with these marines um it turns into a really uh, powerful story and and just having it here in in yeah in, in this flashback, yeah s- doesn't work at all i i think the way they handled it in the in the movie was just better
2: yeah now you, I... of, now you made me angry about now you made me angry at the beginning of alien 3 all over again oh, <laughs> what a waste of uh, that was a waste of everybody's time oh god yeah it's just uh, let's just take the let's take what we did in in aliens and just flush it down the toilet and suddenly right. replace the light. I wanted it. I screamed like you kidding me. <laughs> yeah. yeah, not a, not a fan. Go go, Marissa, before I fulminate uh, <laughs> <laughs> I was just going to ask, did I get it
1: right from the book that um, Mary? It's, the only real difference from Newt is that um, with the did the slugs kind of leave her alone? Right, like they were aware of her yes. living among. You know,
0: she got sick.
1: Uh, oh she, right! So she wasn't right. like in hiding,
0: yeah. First, her right. parents changed, right? First, her parents changed. Right. Everyone else around her changed. Um, she was got away, but then eventually they got her too. But because she was sick with the with the nine day flu or whatever it was, mm-hmm. um, nine day flu. It's not nine day flu. Nine day fever. Nine day fever. <laughs> jungle fever. She had um, uh, Ven- Venusian jungle fever. Um, the uh, the effect was that she survived when everyone else died
1: yeah and then they just kind of ignored her for some reason and...
0: right well because she's she's uh it's, contaminated yeah
2: well. right and the slug started dying so yeah
0: right um so yeah i think that it's it's sort of I, I even in the movie they they call it encephalitis right um, as opposed to nine day fever or whatever.
2: Right, because there is no Venusian colony in the movie. Right.
0: But I think that that this ties it into what I like so much about this book. I don't know if you guys noticed this, but um I I just realized that while I was reading this book that, oh yeah, this is actually a very familiar story. It's called H. G. Wells' The War of the Worlds. Mm. That's what this novel is. Because Aliens, not from Mars in this case, come down to Earth, unscrew their cap, right? Yeah. The news reporters come. Um, They start taking over, but instead of um, uh, Heinlein following the plot exactly, he says, well, here's how I would do it. And yet, in the end, what is it that kills the aliens? A virus. Uh-huh. Mm. But, Same but, exact thing. But, but the but, humans... But, This is the difference with Heinlein and H.G. Wells. H.G. Wells was a cynical asshole, right? (laughs) He thought everybody was evil. Basically, he 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 wanted us to strive like angels, but he was very cynical. And almost everything he wrote that I've read is very cynical. It's you know the main characters basically are monstrous or liars or jerks or racists (laughs) or whatever. And it's not that he was all of those things exactly. It's that that's, what, that's the way he dealt with things, right? And in this, Heinlein says, uh-uh, uh-uh, our CIA operatives know what they're doing. Now, congressmen, they can't be trusted, <laughs> right? But the NSA is on our side, and they're working for our best thing. And so when they walk into that room in that uh, reporter's office or uh, the news station, right? And he says, Sam, kill him, right? I'm like, dude, that's just a guy. Yeah. <laughs> you just killed a guy for no reason. But in the end, it isn't, you know, the the um, the bacteria of Earth that in their, you know, blind wisdom saved humanity, Right, the, the uncaring wisdom saved humanity. That's not how how it works out. That saves the earth. It's man's ingenuity, right? And instead of ending with, well, jeez, we're lucky to have survived that," those envious eyes from Mars. It's, damn, we're going to their house and we're gonna root them out. And we're gonna kill them all.
2: Yep. <laughs> yeah. It's the
0: end. It's the end of Starship Troopers, right?
2: Oh yeah. yeah, yeah. We're gonna go back to the planet of the bugs. In this case, the. Uh the uh, Saturnian moon of the bugs, and but we, but there is a there is an intimation in the novel. He doesn't completely uh, explore it that that the um, that the 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 tit- the Titans aren't really from Titan. That's just the latest right. place Be, because because we because we uh because yeah. we, we get the little uh, gray the gray elves. like ali- the the elves the aliens right who, the who,
0: elves who, of Titan, which I thought was awesome.
2: Right, yeah. so. So m- m- the way I wrote, I thought, is, so, okay, they came from somewhere else outside the solar system, they landed on Titan first, colonized mm-hmm. them, then started looking around. They wind up, wind up, wind up hitting our colony on Venus. They wind up taking samples from Earth, and then they come in. So, mm-hmm. yeah, so that so even if they wipe out Titan, poor Titan, and and the poor elves of Titan, they're gonna have to they're gonna have to go outside the solar system to end the threat once and for all, which makes them more like independence day aliens or say the um yeah independence day that's 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 uh, another good example because those also yeah, do mind control story, right? yeah same yeah, story it's
0: the same same story the difference is is instead of riding you on your back they come down and they they you they allow you to punch them in the face right
2: <laughs> well
0: yeah the, welcome to earth <laughs> yeah welcome to earth scene right um this also um, makes me think of a very good Heinlein juvenile called "Have Space Suit, Will Travel," which also goes to Titan, I believe. Um, it's about a kid who wins a wins a spacesuit, a used spacesuit in a in a I don't know cracker jack contest or something. You know, find the lucky ticket, uh, Willy Wonka style. Um, he wins that contest and gets a spacesuit, and he fixes it all up, and then he goes for a walk in the in the countryside including with the radio that's built in right and then an alien spaceship comes down and he kidnaps him basically and he goes to titan um and there's a, al- a space alien who's like a cop <laughs> um he called the mother thing oh yeah and the mother thing the mother thing that's right and then there's a little girl who's been kidnapped on uh, first i think we go to the the moon and then to titan and there's an alien invasion coming uh to Earth and Titan's their sort of their maybe it's Pluto, but I think it's titan uh is their you know base for the invasion of earth it's their uh field marshalling territory yeah. so it, it, there it's a you know just one young kid with a spacesuit who's interested in space gets to go stop it but he, here we've got an adult you know young man uh who's going to save the earth. That sort of certainty I was talking about, Marissa, you remember when the old man quits his job and says, now you're the boss. Yeah. No, that flip, that flip of the switch where he says, Oh, I can't possibly. And he said, no, you're done.
3: Yeah. I'm doing it. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and then, and then the old man starts taking orders instantly. Uh, and, and then it's like, who who lives like that? Yeah. <laughs> If you were Heinlein, if Heinlein ever, ever had a kid growing up with him as dad would be very strange. Yeah.
3: Oh, God.
0: I don't know what it would be like, but it would not be normal. It would be very, very strange. Um, so I also want to point out um, that the book as it appears in the serial was uh, at least slightly rewritten by um, Horace Gold, the editor. Mm-hmm. who um took out uh, about 30,000 words and um uh most of those 30,000 words didn't didn't come back until 1990 um and so the version we're listening to is the unexpurgated version right yeah um and one of the things that was taken out in that uh, initial serialization was it's right at the very beginning and it's, it's, it seems kind of strange that it's in the book at all, but um, it maybe it doesn't seem strange to us uh, because it feels very 1980s, 1990s movie style where there's a guy who's just had a hookup uh, with an anonymous blonde, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, he picked her up at a bar or whatever, yeah. and he wakes up from a phone call that's in his head. She, she wakes up and says, hey, what's going on? And he says, oh, nothing. Go back to sleep. And then he goes and brushes his teeth and goes to work, right? Yeah. In the book, in the serial, that, there's no woman. There's no blonde. It's much more, you know, he he's more virginal when it comes to um, getting married later on, right? Huh. He, he's mm-hmm. not a player in this way that a secret agent, you know, James Bond style spy right. today would be um, very much. That's still sort of the trope for James Bond, right?
3: Yeah. <laughs>
0: yeah. So I I don't know why that that it needed to go in the book.
2: I, I I think I, it was just because yeah. they could. I I mean that that was the point in Heinlein X. Uh, by this time was uh, Virginia Heinlein basically managing say that like okay now I'm going to publish the stuff that got cut out because they also did that with an even bigger way with Stranger in a Strange Land.
0: Right. Yeah. The, and that.
2: Yeah, yeah, that was a big book to begin with. The uncut version's even longer, and I read it, and yeah, it it's doesn't not
0: re- better. It's not better.
2: No, it is not. Definitely not. Here I didn't it's really better. notice as much, but in Stranger I really noticed because I read yeah. both versions. Yeah. Um
0: I I made another note about uh there's some weird names. Uh so we got Sam, uh sort of a biblical name, right? Mary, obviously a biblical name. Um And then uh, Mary's real name is a made-up name. Right. Um, There's a – not a Wikipedia entry, but there's a Heinlein forums entry that said Virginia Heinlein explained where the name came from, and it's really not interesting. (laughs) Uh, It's like uh, the name of her, her principal with a little bit of different uh, back when she was a girl in Missouri in 1906 or whatever. Um, It was not – interesting at all. However, um Sam's real name isn't Sam either. It's Elihu, which is a weird name, <laughs> right? Yeah. El- Elihu. Like um, it's a be- a biblical name and it has um it's it's a weird so it's in the book of Job, which we know is a book that Heinlein liked, right? I don't yep. know why he liked it because it's a weird book. But <clears throat> Elihu has a big speech in the Bible that he gives to Job about the reason for evil in the world. And in reading the Wikipedia entry, I I thought there was a couple of interesting sentences or an interesting sentence that maybe is what Heinlein's doing with having that name first. Like, I don't know why he has to have a second name. Why isn't Sam okay? Hmm. Right, So I just thought I'd read that this here. Elihu in the Bible states that suffering may be decreed for the righteous as a protection against greater sin, for moral betterment and warning, and to elicit greater trust and dependence on a merciful, compassionate God in the midst of adversity. And for me, when I read that, I thought, that's not good. <laughs> I'll just read it again and i'll tell and then I'll explain why elihu states that suffering may be decreed for the righteous as a protection against greater sin okay. and and a greater trust and dependence on the merciful and compassionate God in the midst of adversity um do you guys sense any problem with that
2: <laughs> so 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 the alien invasion by by uh by these things is the, the lesser of two evils to basically put us on the right path.
0: Which is it, – it's almost like uh, communism is so bad that we have to right. put all our trust in the CIA, the FBI, and the military-industrial complex less we – or terrorism is so dangerous that we need to give up all our – Civil crimes.
2: liberties to, say, to, right. to, to to protect our uh, precious bodily fluids.
0: And yes, it's a bad – thing. <laughs> <laughs> You're mixing it up, but yes.
2: I, I, on purpose. On purpose. <laughs> um, it's it,
0: it, it. You know, if Heinlein were alive today and assuming that, you know, he wasn't the super old Heinlein, but even if he was a super old Heinlein, we know this about old people. As they get older, they get crankier and more. <laughs> no, Frankie. <laughs> yeah. um, people who, Ray Bradbury hates television in the 50s, does a TV show in the 70s or 80s or whatever it is, and then still hates television and the internet in the modern era or whatever. Um, You know, it, it, people tend to get more so. If Heinlein were alive today, he'd either be railing against the NSA and what they're doing and, you know, all the encroachments that happen on seemingly a daily basis, or... He'd be 100% in favor of them because the threat of whatever it is, terrorism, communism, whatever it is, is so anarchism, right? Is whatever is so strong. Um, that reminds me, the anarchism in, um, Mary's, Mary's backstory, she was what was, uh, Whitmanite, right? Right. Who were a Canadian, um, uh cult who went to venus because they were being persecuted or something Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um this is kind of interesting because whitman makes me think of walt whitman but there's no evidence that that's what's going on there exactly um but there he does explicitly mention something and i bet you guys didn't catch it especially if you're listening to the audiobook um when he's talking about nudity um, he talks about the Dukkabors. Did you guys catch that? No. no. Very early on when he starts talking about how we might all have to go nude. And we'll do it like the Dukkabors, right? So the Dukkabors are a really interesting group of uh, yeah, migrants, refugees from Russia, who their way of dealing with oppression uh, for their religious minority was to... Uh, they're kind of anarchists, right? They don't want to have any government sort of thing, as the Whitmanites sort of were. But their way of dealing with it was not like to take up arms. It was to take off their clothes. Oh,
3: really? <laughs>
0: yeah, so there would be these, and he mentions that in this book, that the protests where you know, massive groups of these people who are protesting their treatment by uh, the government um, would be a rounded up because they're nude now I think Heinlein just likes nudity. So he, yeah. he, doesn't, yeah. he doesn't, it's not that it's not that, um, he's obsessed with, you know, their religious freedom and, and the goals they're going for as much as he, he thinks any excuse to get naked is a good one.
3: Yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so, so, um, that sort of ties in, uh, I think his thinking behind the, the Whitmanites, and mary's involvement with them the other thing paul it's not my imagination right that uh generally heinlein l- likes his women to be older
2: oh uh, um it depends um i mean because i could th- i can think of some counter examples to that or really a lot younger <laughs> Yeah, either a lot younger or older yes and, <laughs> and in this case with with mary with mary being in the tank all that time and so being She's 40 t- Right. Yeah, she's temporally dis but she but she's physically younger. Not that's that the important young.
0: part. They're always physically young,
2: hmm. but, Mental, but
0: they're always, yeah. right. So remember in Marissa that book we mentioned at the beginning. Uh, I will fear no evil. Mm-hmm. We've got a, a a young secretary who whose brain has been destroyed in a car accident. Luckily, her old man boss has just had a heart attack or whatever that's caused him to have to need a new body for his brain. So, (laughs) you've got an old man in a young woman's body. Uh, Um, In this In this story, we've got a woman who's older than the protagonist, um, but who looks as young or younger than the protagonist. But uh, I think there's um, the cat who can walk through walls, the cat that walked through walls, that one has a uh, protagonist who's old, but his wife is like 200 years old or something, and yet she looks like she's you know 25 or whatever because she's had lots of surgeries.
1: Uh, or interesting. Yeah, like, a
0: lot yeah. of casual uh, body surgery in this. He has his knuckle taken off, right? And he says, "I'll get that fixed later by the."
2: Yeah, because he's just so tough. <laughs>
0: and his, hands get, <laughs> his hands get burned, right? Her hair gets burned off. There's a lot of
2: i yeah mean, uh, it's yeah it's a yeah, high, yeah highlighting protagonist so yeah we'll just shrug that off and just keep on going although even if other even if other ordinary people can't handle it we can sort of thing. Mm-hmm.
0: Hmm. I think I, I went through my list. I, I hope I didn't dominate the end here too much, but you, you guys got anything else?
2: No, I think that covers everything. I I it, it was it was good to return to the book. I don't think I now think back I when I had read it I had read the pre-cut version. So this was my first experience with the with the uh, uncut version. So mm-hmm. it, it it was good to go back it was good, good to go back to Heinlein and and to watch the movie again. I mean, now that I know his tricks and how he works, it was a different experience for me reading this than when I read it back in the day. But it's pro- it is as you said, Jesse, probably one of his better ones. And if I had to, if I mean, nobody, I don't believe in the whole "you must read ancient authors" sort of thing because I know it's a big discussion all, all over uh, Times defend But if you wanted to read a Heinlein, this is not a bad one to read. This the, you, you, this, one, this one you can get in and out and get a sense of what Heinlein's all about for good and for bad.
0: Hmm. I, I want to hear more about that ancient. You must read ancient discussions. Oh,
2: oh, um, oh, science,
0: science. Th- th- science.
2: Th- th- that might be for another podcast. Yeah, that, that yeah, I can speak for hours about that.
0: I saw, I saw. Um, <laughs> there was a Twitter thing you had going that you were a part of, maybe yesterday or the day before. That was um, like a hashtag. Uh, you must read in SFF, and I was looking. It was a mu- the S-
2: it was You don't know SFF fifty. Oh yeah,
0: yeah. You, that's that's even that's that's what clued me in. And it's that you don't know SFF if you don't read. And then there's a endless hashtag. I was looking at the hashtag. I didn't recognize almost anybody. <laughs> and to me, that that's the sign that really they don't know what the hell they're talking about. <laughs> because I think you have to read a bit of Heinlein to understand SFF. But obviously, just reading this, um, it makes you. May, I, I still haven't read *The War of the Worlds*, and I feel ashamed about that. But I know it from back to front because I've read about it a million times. I've seen a million adaptations. I, I've heard people talking about it endlessly. You've I am gonna. It are, by,
2: yeah, you've got to by osmosis, even if you don't read it, but you could read right. it. Right,
0: but I I don't think that that's true. I think Heinlein's sort of. He, he, when when I was a kid, you could go to the bookstore and find Heinlein books still for sale. I don't know that that's as true as it was, but I noticed that, uh, you know, last time I went to the physical used bookstore, that was uh, not used bookstore, new bookstore, they had Heinlein. but The section was getting smaller and smaller and so- smaller, like maybe there was one or two books. And that's... to me, he's like a giant. I mean, Alfred Bester's great. He's amazing. But he wrote two books two novels. Heinlein wrote like 25 of them and a lot of them are sort of genre defining in, in some aspect.
2: Or pioneering, or least,
0: yeah. Yeah, I mean, uh, I, I read a lot of them and there was a reason I read a lot of them. It, they were they were standout in that they were well-written and he, he really liked putting some sort of idea. I mean, th- th- what's funny about this book is actually there's this is a really weird exception because it's it's set completely on Earth. Right. Almost every one I mean, is, because, you know, space about. travel, galactic travel, uh, alien biology, um, how gravity works on the moon. Right. It's it's all, almost all science stuff. And this one, there's almost no science. It's just a here would be a theoretical invasion and it's got a bit of politics in it and the marriage stuff. <laughs> well, that goes yeah. that goes yeah. wherever it goes in the universe, right?
2: Right. So, you,
0: you don't know SFF if you haven't read a Heinlein novel, is what I would say. You mm-hmm. might not agree with Heinlein, I sure don't. You, you <laughs> might even
2: like, stuff. you might even like it, but yeah, I I, I think you're right. It, it it but again, I think that's a long discussion for another time. <laughs>